This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by trichologist Claire Fulham, chatting all things hair loss. I remember then going, I'm losing a bit more hair. Like I could see hair everywhere. It was all okay. over my desk oh, wow. and work okay. everywhere. And so I went to my GP. She found five big patches on my scalp, one the size of my fist. So I was like, right, what am I going to do about this? Give me a plan. She just looked me dead in the eye and said, there's nothing you can do. I went on list for dermatologists. She had a cancellation and she very quickly said, yes, you have alopecia areata. As ever available on all podcast platforms. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Indo Daily, poisoned, pushed, or shot dead, how Putin's enemies meet an untimely end. Gunfire and explosions have been heard here and in the second city of Kharkiv shortly after the Russian president Vladimir Putin authorized a special military operation in Ukraine's Donbass region and told the Ukrainian military to lay down their weapons and go home. Friday marks a year since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Vladimir Putin's grip on power has come under sharper focus, along with the tactics he uses to deal with dissenters. Russian military official Marina Yankina has reportedly been blamed for the Kremlin's worst losses in Ukraine. She's believed to have fallen 160 feet to her death from a high-rise apartment building. Alexander Litvinenko had been working as a spy for MI6 when he was poisoned with the radioactive substance polonium-210. It is now clear that Mr. Skripal and his daughter were poisoned with a military-grade nerve agent of a type developed by Russia. I'm Fiona Chain, and today on the Indo-Daily, I'm joined by Jason Corcoran, freelance journalist and Russia analyst, to ask what becomes of Putin's rivals and critics. They have a whole array of methods to take out people, and it was in the full armory uh, since Putin's been in power since 2000. The likely tactics are, well, there's a bullet to the neck, there is pushing you out of a window, pushing you down the stairs. Jason, without getting into James Bond territory here, are there certain hallmarks of state-backed assassinations in Russia? Yeah, I think there is, especially the ones, the extrajudicial um, assassinations would take place overseas. And they tend to be, you know, KGB FSB officers who were sent on a specific mission to take out uh, Vragnarodov, uh, enemy of the state. And that could be anybody from a dissident to a, a former a former Chechen, a Chechen a military figure who was on the wrong side of the war. Uh, or, you know, a journalist um, or a civil activist. Do you think, you know, events like falling down stairs, uh, to what degree can we put this down to the higher echelons of the Kremlin all the way up to Vladimir Putin? Or is it being carried out by lower ranked intelligence officers on the ground and, and not really getting clearance from on high? I think it's a little bit of the latter. And I, I don't think every mysterious death or suicide in Russia can be accounted for by suggesting it was the KGB 
FSB who who knocked them off, or it was Putin uh, who ordered it because you know he has <laughs> probably has a long list of people that he'd like to knock off, or maybe his associates would like to knock off, but he doesn't have the time at the moment. The 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 Russian system and the business community is under immense pressure now due to the war. Um, these are very stressful times for everybody, and I think you know in, in some cases that there have been, you know, sort of um, uh, assassinations. But it's possibly more logical to think that because of the war, there are the competing clans who are fighting under the rug in the Kremlin are now fighting in public for, um, sort of for, for assets which are either being nationalized or being sold very cheaply by multinationals who are leaving the market. So th- there's lower cash available for these guys and they've got less certainty about the future. Uh, who's going to be in charge of the kleptocracy in a year's time? So these guys, they're, they're settling scores and competing more viciously. And they're using some of the hallmarks of FSB assassinations so to make the actual the actual crime sort of unclear as to who actually did it. Yeah, I suppose things, these murders... If they are murders, they can also serve as a warning to people that what happens if if you if you cross people. What about the the, the Kremlin's reach? I mean, is it possible that part of the message here is that wherever you depart to in the world, I mean, in the old days it would have been called defection. Now it now it's called just just mm. emigration. That they can reach out and get you. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Putin is uh, he really. He really hates treason and he hates uh, people who consider it traitorous to him. And uh, um, certainly some of the figures we've seen who have defected, and I'm thinking of, of Sergei Skripal and Andrei Litvinenko. Um, the former worked for the GRU military service and the latter for the uh, KGB and FSB, and they would be considered enemies and traitors to the cause. And Putin wouldn't have forgotten what they've done in the past. I I think definitely, I mean, there has been evidence, you know, linking those to the state. And Putin has said some things about both of those figures on the record, uh, calling them traitors. So, you know, he has a very long memory for for people who worked, particularly in the the Czechist service, which is the the origins of the FSCB KGB, because Putin himself, um, as you recall, he started out as a KGB officer and he ran the FSB in St. Petersburg uh, before he became prime minister and then then president of Russia. You mentioned Litvinenko. C- can you take me through that that case? I mean, it was such a high profile case. Uh, how did it happen? And ultimately, looking back on it now, who, who do we think was responsible for it? Mm-hmm. Uh, Litvinenko, he was an officer, as I mentioned, with the FSB. Uh, the successor to KGB, and he'd fled to the UK uh, because he'd become a critic of the Kremlin and of Putin. And uh, he, I think he'd been investigating links between the Russian mafia and their activities in Spain. And uh, he'd also accused uh, Putin of um, of the apartment bombings, which were these mysterious bombings which happened in the early 2000s which were, they, they they fingered the Chechens at the time, but it was said that it was actually the FSB. It was an inside job to scare people into backing Putin. And he also claimed that Boris Berezovsky, who was the guy who actually put Putin into the Kremlin in the first place, the sort of great cardinal, that he had foiled an assassination plot against Boris Berezovsky 
And this was before Boris, Boris Berezovsky uh, fell out with Putin and fled to London. And Litvinenko then went to London and sort of joined forces with Berezovsky and was a, sort of a bit of a whistleblower. And ultimately, uh, he he was targeted by the, the the Russian state services, even from as as far away as being based in the UK. Yeah, there was there was two guys who were sent on meetings with him, Andrei Lugovoy and Dmitry Kovtun. I actually met Andrei Andre Lugovoy two years later in Moscow. So these guys had a couple of meetings with with Litvinenko in London, and they allegedly administered radioactive polonium-210 into a cup of tea, which Litvinenko drank, and then he fell ill and started vomiting, and he had a slow and very painful death, which was reported around the world. Uh, but these two guys, they were they were in London for a few days. They went to an Arsenal match, and they um, had sushi, and they went... They went to, I think they went to a lap dancing club and everywhere they went, they left a trail of polonium 210, like Hansel and Gretel with their, with their crumbs of bread all over London. This is uh, the report here and the conclusions are quite startling. The principal conclusion here is that President Putin was probably involved and probably called for the assassination of Alexander Litvinenko in London. That was then followed by the the, the the now infamous Salisbury poisonings. Again, similarities in, in terms of, of what was used. So in this case, you mentioned the name already, Sergei Skripal. He's a former Russian military officer and a double agent for British intelligence. And then his daughter, Yulia. And they are living in the picturesque and historic city of, of Salisbury. Take it from there. What happened in that case? Yeah, so um, um, Skripal was a very high-profile high, high defector. He'd given secrets to the the MI6, which was a, a big crime in Putin's eyes. So in the, in the months after the poison, it was initially going to happen. Everybody was shocked, but it was completely unsure what, what, what they had been poisoned with. Scotland Yard sifted through thousands of hours of CCTV co- coverage, and they found two Russian men who had arrived, I think, in Gatwick. And uh, these guys had flown in from Moscow to Gatwick, and they want genuine Russian passports and visas. And they turned out they were undercover operatives traveling under assumed names, uh, Ruslan Boshirov and Alexander Petrov. And they had um, they had a weapon which was uh, Novichok, which they administered through this perfume bottle, and they apparently had sprayed it on Skripal's door. Um, unfortunately, uh, well, unfortunately for the Russians and for the for the assassins, it didn't kill the Skripals. But the perfume bottle was tossed by one of the two individuals into a into a, a rubbish skip, and an Englishman found the, the the perfume bottle and he gifted it to his his wife who unfortunately died in very tragic circumstances Russia's record of conducting state-sponsored assassinations and our assessment that Russia v- views some defectors as legitimate targets for assassinations the government has concluded that it is highly likely that Russia was responsible for the act against Sergei and Yulia Skripal Alexei Navalny uh, tell us about that case, and again, seem to be certain similarities. 
Yeah, I think um, so. Navalny is is the Putin's nemesis in in Russia. Uh, he is the only real opposition politician who's put it up to Putin in his twenty three years. Uh, in power, he has brought out 250,000 people on the streets of Moscow, which is unheard of during Putin's reign. So he and he he ran to be um, mayor of Moscow, and he won 28% of the vote, uh, which was unheard of as well for an opposition figure because it's all systemic option. It's you know really sort of just puppets. So he was he was traveling around Russia trying to raise raise up op, raise opposition in the regions in Siberia and outside of the power structures of Moscow and St. Petersburg, and he was being tracked by uh, FSB operatives, and so I think Putin um, had decided he had enough of Navalny and he was going to take him out. So apparently, one of these operatives, it was discovered afterwards, um, he con- he actually confessed <laughs> to his role in the plot. Because uh, Navalny, with the help of Bellingcat, the investigative website, actually rang one of the uh, attempted assassins afterwards, and he confessed <laughs> that he had revealed to, to, uh, to Navalny that he tried to poison him by spraying uh, Novichok on his underwear in the hotel where he'd been staying in in Omsk in in Siberia. So Navalny, with the help of Bellingcat, actually rang. One of these operatives and pretended to be his his boss from the from the FSB and uh, and the guy uh, he confessed into his role into in the attempt uh, assassination. Finally, President Putin did respond to our investigation, and what was extraordinary was that he didn't really deny any of of, of what we had suggested in terms of specifically this elite team of operatives following around Alexei Navalny. He said it would be normal. Uh, for FSB operatives to follow around Navalny because he claims Navalny is working with U.S. intelligence services. There's a long and and colourful history of the use of poison in Russian affairs of state. I mean, you can go back to, to Rasputin over a century ago. Is it now basically a, a calling card for the Russian intelligence services that where People are being poisoned. The, the, the suspicion immediately falls on KGB, FSB. Yeah, I think um, poisoning has that sort of ambiguity. So it is it is concealed. It's it's really hard to detect, especially some of these new agents. Uh, whereas you know, pushing somebody down the stairs or defenestration is is is, is less ambiguous because uh, you know it, it could be it could be. Um, an accident or it could be suicide. But with poison, we know that, you know, the Russian state has these laboratories, whole armory of poisons, which are designed to trigger, I don't know, everything from fast acting cancers or to trigger cardiac arrest, or even these psychotropic drugs, which can destabilize enemy targets. And then these substances, which take a long time to their slow acting. So they're kind of mood changing. And then, you know, the relatives of the target, they can report afterwards that, oh yeah, the individual, he was suffering for weeks and weeks. He wasn't quite himself. And he had this profound depression, which again, conceals uh, what, what actually happens. And of course, over the last 12 months, we've had a, a, a series of high profile suicides, falls uh, and so on following the the outbreak of the, the the war in Ukraine what do russians believe when when they hear of 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 these suspicious deaths do they just, mm-hmm. just do they just take it as fact that this is is what happened or are are people skeptical at this point 
Um, I, yeah, I know from <clears throat> speaking to um, my my friends and relatives, and uh, uh, they're talking about um, a return to 1990s style banditry when the the country went through shock therapy of free market economic reforms. So then you had you had assassinations were commonplace on the streets. And, you know, there was queues for, for food. There was very little food. The banks were collapsing. And, you know, we're seeing that again. Okay, the economy isn't collapsing, but it is heading into um, terminal zastoy stagnation. So you're seeing, you know, uh, companies leave. People are, people are increasingly unemployed because they're masking it because um, they're getting, there's been sent on unpaid leave and they're getting less hours and real unemployment is said to be 10% or more, whereas the Kremlin says it's officially 4%. So you're, you're seeing in this, this, in this milieu, the emergence of, the re-emergence of mafia. And the mafia are guys who work seamlessly with the, K, F, the KGB, FSB, and sometimes they're indistinguishable from one another. And there is turf wars now happening and protection rackets and and recently there was two huge alleged arson attack attacks on two of the biggest shopping malls in Moscow, the Mega Mall, which where IKEA was in Himki, and Balakaya as well. So they're believed to suspected to be arson attacks by by you know rival clans who want to get the assets or it's an insurance scam. So there's lawlessness creeping back into into Moscow certainly and other parts of Russia. And people are just keeping their heads down. They, they want to block out the war. They don't want their son, their father, their brother to be called up to be mobilized. Um, my brother-in-law, after, uh, incidentally, he's he fled to Turkey just months after the the war because he didn't want to be caught up caught up in it. What about any serious rivals emerging, particularly in the past twelve months, on on a on the anti-war side or or politically? Unfortunately, not. I mean, the the uh, all of the anti-war guys, um, liberal politicians, have been either locked up or have gone into exile. And then you've seen since the mobilisation, general mobilisation in September, a reported one million uh, men of fighting age have fled, mainly to the former Soviet Union, uh, neighbouring countries like Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Georgia, Armenia. And because they don't want to be in the war, and these are the kind of guys who may have protested and who may be, who did protest last year in March and April initially in Moscow and St. Petersburg. But now Putin has no patience for these. Before he would allow some level of protest. Now because the the so-called special operation has been going on for a year now, and he has limited resources and limited time for for opposition. So they're being clamped down upon now and people who even mentioned the war uh, could face six years in prison. And what about Putin's inner cadre? Is is there any suspicion there that, that people anybody is getting too strong and could perhaps take him out in that regard? Yeah, well, the the only suggestion really of anybody who could who could change things would be uh, a, a sort of a palace coup that you could send some military junta uh, who could take place and you could be worse than Putin, or they could be they could want they could want peace. They could want to they may want to um, travel again to Saint Tropez, shop in Paris, and want a quiet life. And they could you know conceivably. Uh, free Navalny from prison and, and ask him to be a go-between to have some sort of amnesty. In the meantime, I think what we're seeing is 
The ones who are the biggest threat to Putin are the ultra-nationalists, the ones who think he's not, he's not, um, he should be bombing more civilian targets in Ukraine and, you know, maybe even bombing Kiev's Joe Biden visits Ukrainian capital. They think that he's not going far enough. And there's a number of these figures who, who have blogs and they're on Telegram channels and they're tolerated because they have a creature, they have protection from within the security services, so they can't be touched. And these guys are, I think, the biggest threat. And they also include the head of the Wagner Group, so-called Putin's chef, uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin, and also the Chechens, who I mentioned before, led by Ramzan Kadyrov. So Putin's focus on the war, it has the potential to destabilize his position, but you're not buying it that, it, it, that anything imminent is, is happening. No, I think because he has he has a ring of steel around him. And since the COVID pandemic, he only sees a small handful of people because he's absolutely paranoid about, uh, about getting sick or getting a virus or getting a, even a, a common cold. So you have to um, spend a week in isolation, allegedly, before you, you see Putin. And uh, so the people he 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 converses with and he talks to are, you know, the head of the FSB and uh, the head of um, the uh, military foreign military service, the GRU. And these guys, they're like an echo chamber. They they tell him what he wants to hear oh. and uh, they're no they're, they're no track to him. When he travels abroad, uh, um, Fionn, and he only travels now to, to China and to, to the East mainly, but when he travels, travels abroad previously, uh, it's been reported that he has four or five people who follow him into the toilet and they collect his stools and his, his urine, so he gets set off to a laboratory in, in Moscow just to check that he's, what he's eating and consuming is okay. And my thanks to Jason Corcoran for joining me today. I'm Fiona Sheehan, and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by JJ Clark, with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips from the BBC, ITV, CNN, YouTube, and independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo-Daily, don't forget to like, follow, and leave us a review.